Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the V-Suit Podcast, the audio-only podcast that is as much about bad jokes as it is about the world of virtualization. For this historic episode, we're joined by a guest you could almost call legendary. However, in V-Suit terms, we just call him Mike. It's Mike Laverick. Hi, Mike. Hi there, Chris. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, welcome, welcome back. As a you know, very much an old friend of the show, and say a little bit of a landmark episode, uh, halfway to the century. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, great to have you on. It's so, exactly halfway through. Yeah, we're fifty now. Hey? Yeah, episode fifty. So wow. it's, yeah, it's been been going a, a pretty long time. And I remember when I first sort of started recording these. It was when my my daughter was extremely young, and now sort of the mantle of, of sleep deprivation has been passed across to Ed. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I I think I can manage this one. <laughs> yeah, just you wait. Just you wait. <laughs> Well, I'll try and keep keep him awake on this one. Um, but so, Mike, um, as a man who changes his uh, his hat and uh, business cards more often than Ed's been changing <laughs> nappies at the moment, um, what are you up to? Well, it's funny that you say that because I actually have been in the same role for nearly two years, and in in our industry, that that that's like senior, isn't it? That, so, is, um, that is sort of yeah, almost uh, almost years, yeah. So. Um, I I've recently moved into the Evo Rail uh, team. Um, officially, it was I think last Tuesday, but I've been doing some work with them just before VMworld helping with the, the launch over in in the US. So I don't think there's too many surprises once you've seen the man with the T-shirt in the booth. Then you pretty much can join the jots together. So I mean, what, was Evo Rail sort of runners? Is it a a standalone product line like Horizon stuff, or it sounds like it's almost been a bit kind of sort of skunk worksy. It's uh, the way my uh, the guy who recruited me into the team described it is it's like a, a startup with inside uh, VMware. So it, it's a very small team, uh, all hands to the pump kind of approach. I think um, the week I was there, I was given the the key docs about Evo Rail, what it did, how it worked. And I think on the Thursday, my fourth day, I was asked to go down to the tech summit and speak to our own gu- internal guys, like an internal VM world, about what Evo Rail was. So, you know, read the docs on the Sunday, and by by the Thursday, I was telling people what the product did. So I said to my boss, you did say it would be like a startup, and you weren't kidding, were you? Because uh, we needed to free up the manpower to get some videos done. Um, so the lead engineer, Dave Shanley, did those those videos that you saw at VMworld, and... Uh, worked with the team to produce them all and he was down to do the a bit of booth duty but I stepped into his shoes so he was free to do that. Cool. I mean do, do you think it's going to be a bit run almost like sort of uh, VCE was originally? I mean VCE so I'm told in its early days almost had that startup feel albeit a startup with massive amounts of backing from three ginormous companies. Um, but does this you know I suppose you, you know from a, an admin point of view you're still you're uh, paycheck still comes from VMware, and you know you still have a VMware login. Yeah, but. and it, it's like being a startup, but without the risks, because uh, you know most of these startups, nine out of ten of them, fail, don't they? And uh, they founder either in, in getting the next round of funding from VC people, or they they fail to you know take off and meet that trajectory of going down the route of IPO being acquisitioned so it's a comfortable place to be in uh, in a startup in the middle of VMware uh, because you've got 
corporate marketing behind you. You've got the hands-on lab behind you. I've been doing some work on the hands-on lab for Evo Rail this week. And you've got the, the other bits of infrastructure you get from a large corporate legal advice and things like it. Whereas with, I imagine with the startup, all of that has to be found either through consultancy services or using napkins, you know, <laughs> over lunch. That's how things get decided, you know. But So it does sort of help. And in extreme cases, a magic eight ball has been made. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that's worth saying is there's very few startups that would be announced by the the CEO of VMware on the keynote at the beginning of VMworld, and there's very few startups that would have a massive footprint in the solutions exchange. They would normally be at the perimeter edge with one or two members of staff hoping that people would notice them. So it's a comfortable position to be in, despite the fact that it's a a tight-knit team in many ways it makes people more responsive um to you know being able to do things and act on things quicker than you know if it was a much bigger team cool well i suppose and this is ever so slightly tongue-in-cheek um but unlike a lot of startups you don't actually have anything to sell um (laughs) in in that um you know everything is sold by the hardware partners I, i had a quick quick google around see if i could find find out how much it costs and i can't because cool. everyone says, uh, check with our hardware partners, and they haven't got anything up yet. Um, so to buy it, you ha- you know you have to buy it from one of the, the the people that have signed up to it. Yeah, the term that's used is qualified Evo Rail partner or mm-hmm. Quep. I think I don't know how you pronounce it, but yeah, I mean, I guess um, that's the that one sounds of the... horribly close to Queef. <laughs> um, I guess that's one of the things that makes Evo Rail a little bit different from the other vendors that occupy this space. VMware could have gone down the route of acquiring hardware from a, a white box company. There is plenty out there. Rip the bezel off, put a bezel on the front, and then you know try to do it that way. But I think quite rightly the business model is is kind of similar to one that was taken with VMware ESX. You know, ESX when it first came out could have been uh, acquired as an appliance with a bezel on the front, but instead VMware chose to partner with large businesses like Dell and Fujitsu and others to get the software out the door and on into the hands of customers together with the hardware that was needed to make it run. And so in a way, you can argue that this model is an extension of what's what's always been done at VMware, is that we use the channel partners as a, a route to, to market. But you're right, VMware isn't getting into the hardware business. We're still a software company. The way the revenue is generated is by licensing the Evil Rail technology to the, the partners and then they make their their margins on the actual selling of the the solution to the final customer there there is one big big advantage by doing uh by distributing the uh the EvoRail stuff this way and that is basically what you what you've done is partner up with hardware vendors that and and we as customers or whatever can choose which of those we want to use mm. with the added bonus of you're actually then utilizing the hardware vendors all uh, support system uh, with regards to spare parts with regards to service agreements and, and that kind of stuff sure. if, if, if you went along with uh, and did a white box thing um, I would have had a hard time trying to sell that stuff to a lot of customers that I have because they need to ha- have accessible parts in all over the world and if you have some whiteboard, uh, white box company that has a limited supply of spare parts, that's going to be a problem. Sure. I mean, the way I like to look at it is, if you like, at VMworld, VMware added one, two, three, four, five, six new vendors into the hype 
a converged marketplace where previously there was only one or two. And the interesting thing about those supplies is the specification of the actual box in terms of the amount of CPU, memory, hard disk space or SSD or even what the backplane is, is more or less the same from all of those vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to feel that in a way VMware is, by enabling the partners to deliver this solution, has created a, a competitive market. So these vendors are going to compete with them between each other, but they're also going to compete with the existing players in this particular marketplace. And more competition, I think, is good for everybody. It it focuses the mind, it focuses the technology, and it it gives customers the marketplace in which they can shop around for the solution that best fits their needs at the end of the day. And it sure gives like a regional kind of uh, feel to it, whereas some like... Some countries, such as Japan, might want to go with Fujitsu. Europe might want to go to HP or Dell, something like that. Uh, if, if HP was actually a part of this, but they aren't. Oh, <laughs> Not yet. Okay. But uh, I guess that depends on on whether EMC and, and HP merges or something. I uh, guess I, I guess <laughs> I read it, but I guess it, I guess I just assumed that HP was part of it. I don't. Know. No. You do realize these debates come up every three or four years. The market says that company X should sell to company Y, sure. and then it, it all dies down, and something else happens. And, and everything, every time that happens, but I think you, you, every time that happens, I actually end up thinking to myself, "I'm so glad I work with the tech stuff and not the money part of things, finance stuff." And I'm not going to go on a, another rant on accounting people, but <laughs> the finance stuff, I I don't get it. Period. So but at the if, end, if, Christian, the finance stuff affects you. Yeah, it does, but I don't yeah, get it. You don't, you don't realize it 100%, but when you uh, design a solution and blah, and things get changed on you immediately, mm-hmm. that's finance stuff. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I, I, I think um, Christian made a very good point about these uh, players. <laughs> I mean, Inspire and NetOne are very much in a particular given region. Um, I would say Fujitsu have quite a good presence in EMEA, but maybe they have a stronger presence elsewhere. So I I think you're right. You know, I I sometimes think people are a bit sniffy about their hardware. You know, we wouldn't dare have this particular box over another box. I guess we've always heard that debate between, you know, Dell and HP and IBM and some other. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been saying to people, if you go to most data centers, you'll find a pink and green, a blue and orange and indigo box somewhere in the rack. And if you rip the bezel off that, I challenge you to tell me what that hardware is and where it's come from. And then you ask the customer, is this a business critical system? And they might say, yes, we have two. And they're an active, active or active passive sandbox, um, set of each other. So, you know, even though people are wedded to a particular OEM, or supplier of hardware, very often in a data center, you see all manner of equipment racked up, which is the total thing that they have in their data center, don't they? Yeah, that's that's true. But the thing is, traditionally, you have pretty much chosen a vendor and you're stuck with it for management purposes and for ease of support and ease of access to sure. To spare parts and whatever, and that's what I think is 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 a good idea by behind the model of doing this through the hardware vendors is that people can still get that choice, uh, and uh, as you said, that that'll that'll end up uh, creating a competitive marketplace that benefits VMware because they're going to sell their licenses no matter whatever, yeah, whether it's a a Dell or Lenovo, yeah. Supermicro, you know, whatever yeah. you've gone out and bought. 
Um, Who cares? Uh, yeah. VMware, the present licenses are a part of this anyway. Sure, yeah. and I guess the, the other thing I would say is with the, the fact that the appliances have the same physical specification in terms of the quantities of memory, CPU, and disk that you've got in them, the way these partners will have to differentiate themselves will be uh, on price, that'll be one method, but also in the services, the level of their global reach, whether they have true 24-7 support, whether they're multilingual, whether they want to use EvoRail as the platform for a much bigger project. So maybe the real thing that they're selling you is their expertise on virtual desktops, but the platform for delivering that is going to be EvoRail, for argument's sake. So I think the, the partners will have to be very creative in differentiating themselves because at the moment there really isn't anything from a hardware perspective from you know what you can do with one of these boxes from one vendor to another at the moment. That's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the, how the final pricing is going to be as well. Uh, I haven't seen anything uh, as far as pricing goes yet, but I have a suspicion that it's not going to be... Sure, it's, it's not it's, going to be... It's, it's going to be expensive. I presume it's going to be more expensive than the sum of its parts. Well, I think, isn't that the way with a lot of these appliances? I mean, without naming any names, if we take a vendor and rip off their bezel, you'll find that it's a server from Supermicro or somebody like it. And yeah, then once, uh, once, yeah, I, um, once the bezel and the software is put on, then uh, 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 an added value is, is perceived in the minds of the okay. customer, if you like, that they're not but, just buying a piece of tin. Some of those software parts. So if you were to buy that hardware and then buy some vSAN licenses and buy some vSphere licenses. So the, the sum don't, of the don't, don't forget log inside as well, which is going to be a, a big cost driver in this. Yeah, so what, is, it, is it a cheap way of getting log insight or is log insight bumping the price up for some just for some big syslogging? <laughs> to be honest with you, the reason that log insight is there is when EvoRail was first sort of pitched to the rest of the company, the people from uh, the login site team were really excited and interested and wanted to be involved and wanted their appliance to be part of EvoRail. And so because they were so enthusiastic and they had the cycles and the, the, the time to, to work with the EvoRail team, that's how it was included. So there isn't any particular kind of, um, you know, sort of conspiracy there. It's just the kind of the way things worked out during the development of the technology. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It, you are when you buy an Evil Rail, you're buying the hardware, obviously, with a certain amount of capacity to run a certain number of VMs. But you're you're buying with that a fast deployment model with, with Enterprise Plus licensed as part of that box, mm -hmm. together with vSAN licensed to it. So the way I see it is, it's yet another consumption model. You could go out there and build your own vSAN environment, or you could, if you suited your needs better, you could buy a vSAN ready node. If the appliance model of EvoRail suits your requirements, then you could go down that route. So even within the kind of VMware bubble, if you like, we're offering three different routes that the customer can consume the software. But you're right. I think once you start bundling the software and you include a license and that license is generous in the sense of the features and the specifications that you get, then it may become a more popular method than, say, build your own. After all, how many people really like going through the HCL and deciding whether they want that particular controller over another. Yeah, the pa package, 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 oh, that's... A packaging. 
packaging. There we go. Side up three times. Uh, packaging this in this, also, pa- packaging everything together in a bundle like this does make a lot of sense. But what I'm worried is that in many cases, the actual licensing fees and hardware cost on this might scare a few people off. I don't, I don't know yet because I haven't actually seen the pricing on it. But with regards to VMware's history on pricing on vSAN and the pricing on login site as it is in Enterprise Plus, the bundle is not going to be cheap. And it depends on which kind of environment. What, what are, are the actual target environment for, for the Evo Rail stuff? Well, just to just to take up on that comment before I, I give you that, um, VMware doesn't set the price of the Evo Rail to its partners. There's a license agreement with the Evo Rail partner um, because obviously these different partners will sell different volumes, and that's obviously a business to business discussion based on how many units they think they can sell, uh, how and which will they actually pay for that license. And it is up to the EvoRail partners to decide what they think is the market sustainable price of the appliance. So it isn't VMware that sets the price on the appliance. It will be Dell, EMC, Fujitsu, Supermicro who decide what the, the price will be. Which is, you know what, that's a really great place to be as a VMware employee. Because the number of times you get asked, how much is it? Oh, that's too expensive. For once I can say, I have no idea how much it costs. And... Speak to Dell. And I guess the other thing that's worth saying is as the model of hyperconvergence is meant to be that you buy in blocks based on what you need, we all know that uh, the price that you may be able to get from one of the partners will differ if you're buying four of them at a time compared to if you're going to buy 400 of them for 200 cents in your particular region. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the bigger the deal, the more you as a customer can negotiate and discuss what the, the final prices. But the interesting thing is that's a discussion that you'll have with one of the qualified Evo Rail partners. It's not a discussion that you'll have with VMware. We don't set what the price is of the Evo Rail. No, but you, you can't pick and choose which features you want to include from the VMware software suite anyway. So that price is going to be there regardless of, of which vendor you, you use. Yeah, that's true. I mean, VMware has to make money out of this. There's going to be a mm-hmm. margin. Um, but the I would say, you know, the margin... And so I've got to be attractive to the partners, you know, because if Dell or the other vendors were only going to make 0.5% margin on, on an Evo Rail, why would they be interested? So we have to incentivize, to use an American word, the, the revenues that they could potentially gen- generate from selling an Evo Rail. And we have to make it interesting to them. So, I mean, we've got uh, three, like, sort of major international partners. I guess you could also include Supermicro as being one of the fourth, uh, because, you know, they distribute internationally and we are working hard to add additional partners and uh, I have a feeling that you know like any of these vendors they will go in potentially high because they want to give themselves wriggle room for you know being able to offer discounts based on on volumes but heck isn't that the case with anything that you buy from a big OEM there's always a list price and a discussion based on volumes etc etc you know that's that's what the final price will be but in t- you mentioned use cases mm-hmm. it, in terms of Evo Rail, um, I think in terms of uh, what you want to run on it, it's entirely up to you. You could run Exchange on this. In fact, there's a, a vSAN uh, blog post on the performance and vSAN blog just from last week that looked at n number of mailboxes and what a vSAN environment would be required to run those sorts of mailboxes. But in this current release, we're really looking at 
SMB, um, Wilbo, and that includes the retail sector. We might have many stores and shops across a particular region, like in Europe. Um, and then VDI, we reckon more than 50% of the people who might be interested in this will people who'd be wanting to do virtual desktops. And then at the, at the edge of that, maybe uh, using this as the basis for uh, cloud-based computing. Um, but I think the strongest kind of buckets will be SMB, Robo, and um, VDI in the first instance. But that's not to say that you couldn't run any workload. It's just vSphere at the end of the day. Um, yeah. As long as it's got the CPU and memory that you need and the IOPS you need, it, you know, come one, come all, I would say. Sure. As a customer uh, that works largely in the APAC region, I have to say that um, if it wasn't with Lenovo or one of these Chinese vendors, there would be a... Yeah, maybe not not so much to go to that and maybe split up and uh, and just buy the stuff individually. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't think VMware has any problem with that. If we want to buy your VMware software in a different way, I don't think anybody in the executive team would have a problem with you buying your software from VMware. So just see it as a different... For me, I just see it as a different consumption model for acquiring, you know, the, the bits that allow you to do hyper-converged. And, it, you know, for, for some people, the specification of the Evo Rail won't suit them, and they will want to go down the beast and ready node and have some more flexibility in that particular side of things, and I don't have a problem with them doing that. Mike, it's interesting that you mentioned Robo as a use case, because... Um, that's quite a big branch office that's effectively got f four host cluster. Um, True. And if you you know try and match it up with Robo licensing, which is based around you know sort of per VM, I know customers with yeah they've got seven hundred hosts, but they've got two VMs per host. Um, I mean, that, you got a smaller version of Vivo Rail. I think that's a perfectly reasonable observation to make, and I think sometimes the difficulty is with any of these appliances is you want to keep the model simple to ease the consumption, but when you make the model very simple, you sometimes don't suit everybody's needs. Um, I was speaking at a user group um, just last week where this particular issue came up, and I said, well, if that's the case, then maybe a vSAN ready node is... Uh, the way forward and if a vSAN ready node you can't find out of the 40 or 50 different flavours of it then maybe going off and building your own is perhaps the more viable option. I guess the difficulty is is especially when it comes to SMB perhaps less so with Robo but definitely with SMB is in certain places like the US for example an SMB is classed as a thousand users or less. Well I worked in a national UK company that had at least six or seven different sites across the UK that had less than a thousand employees. So, you know, what's uh, regarded as SMB in some regions is, is national in another. And it's difficult, I think, sometimes for us to get the flexibility in the terminology. Um, and that's, I guess, one of the benefits of having, you know, VMware people in Europe, VMware people in Asia Pac, VMware people in the US, is they're sensitive to those regional differences and won't try and push something which is perhaps too much or not suitable for your particular use case and hopefully they'll offer you something that is you know a better fit yeah if if we look at smb in norway we're talking below 500 employees which is the official definition of smb in norway so 500 
maximum fi- 500 people employed uh, would make it an SMB, which in many cases this would be enough to probably run their entire data center not, and not a branch office. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it, w- it would be the, the HQ. And I'm sure it would probably be, you know, what a pretty good one because it can almost... Sit whether well whether someone does a uh, something in a tower chassis, but it you know that could sit under a desk. That's sure. like if someone converts the the Dells the VRTX type thing into mm. a VRTX rail, whatever they want to call it. You, uh, you, you know what? I speak speaking personally and individually, I'd love that. I'd love to see a Dell Vertex system be made into an Evo rail because they're so quiet. You can actually literally put them yeah. in an office without any worries about noise dampening. Although I guess most people would still have some sort of cabinet where they would lock the comms equipment and the servers just because you don't want somebody coming around going, whew, somebody's left something switched on, let's power that off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Although with a, with a Dell Vertex, they might not even notice that it's powered on. It's a wonderful bit of gear from Dell. It's so, they're so quiet. I was at the um, Manchester V-Mug just a couple of months ago and they wheeled one in. I had to ask one of the guys, is it, is it switched on now? And he said, yes. I was like, oh, right, you know, how come I can still hear myself think, you know, yeah. because... Uh, I, I like the concept of them. Um, yeah. But I, I think... The, for a home lab, but uh, you never know. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I tried I, I tried um, to get one for a home lab, but failed miserably. <laughs> we looked I, I, at them one, for our, our remote uh, offices here. The problem is we have some big SQL databases and they couldn't push enough I.O. Sure. That's- but I was going to say about, I guess, what's forcing the four nodes kind of model in a single TU Sasha is you want that fourth node so you've got something available for whenever you're doing any patch management or any maintenance. So, you know, if one node is being, you know, updated, you've still got three nodes, you've still got a quorum, you've still got, you know, a viable cluster that's still resilient to a hardware failure. Um, and some of the some of those design um um, decisions are based around the way vSAN works, which incidentally is a different team outside of EvoRail, although we use and consume vSAN and give customers a way of consuming vSAN in a very fast and easy way. It takes about 15 minutes to set one of these things up if everything runs to plan. But I guess I'm being imaginative, there may be ways which vSAN could be put together that was a three-node or two-node only, uh, and maybe a second node that would be used as a kind of, I don't know, as a kind of witness. Um, I mean, but I, how would you deal with the, the the idea of maintenance mode when you've only got two nodes, you're running everything on one server then, what if it fails? So th- there's lots of different considerations to be to got there, but, you know, imagination, there's always where there's a will and where there's a demand, which is the bigger question, the demand, uh, is there a market for it? Then these things would get developed, I would imagine. Yes, or necessity is, as they say, the mother of invention. Um, so yeah, you know, it's nice to know that it would be stable during any disruptive upgrades, um, which is mm. quite important. <laughs> I'm not going to mention anything about. about we all know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> Um, although you sort of, you know, conversations kind of twisted its way onto to SMB, um, and at the moment, if you know the majority of us, um, and I think the, the majority of the the listeners to the the show tend to be erring towards, well, would like to err towards the enterprise scale. Some are definitely aspiring. Some might well be in a in a more mid market one. But for the people who are, um, well, 
not technically further downstream, but in, in terms of size of customer further downstream, definitely from the S of SMB. Um, the, the Spice World Conference is uh, currently running, well, the US version uh, is running in, in Austin, in Texas. Uh, I've been to the London version. Um, it's not about the, the Spice Girls. Um, I'm sure they've heard that joke many times before. There has, uh, to, be, there has <laughs> to be a lot of scary spices, though, there. There there's some fairly scary customers there. Um, but, you know, it's a surprisingly passionate event um, around um, the, yeah, the key market, I think, is SMB. Um, but at the end of it, you know, there are still, if you tot up the total amount of licenses that uh, a software vendor sells, you'll find that, you know, 50% of their licenses are probably in their SMB space, which is 50% of anyone's revenue is pretty good. Um, but the reason I mention it is that if you look on the Spice World, SpiceWorks forums, and it's the SpiceWorks software which kind of underpins uh, Spice World and the stuff they do, um, is that there is a, a very much an anti-SAN movement. They, they're they really down on the concept of shared storage, believing it's an overpriced toy just designed to sell you know, big fiber channel infrastructures to, to enterprise people on golf courses who don't really know what they're talking about. We can do it so much better with two small aubergines and a SATA drive. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in, I suppose in some way the you know this the um, the movement, although perhaps not necessarily the full scale uh, message of uh, of EvoRail, would appeal to that kind of that end of the market. You know, if you have got four four hosts, is for S and B quite big, I still think, um, but. For for many other businesses, that that's you know quite achievable to do, and the fact that you can do it without any further investment in software. Sure, and I mean I think what we have to remember is is that when you when you bring something like this in, you've got to relate it to the business that's consuming it. So I mean I I've done some work for SMPs, and you come back the next year, and the total number of VMs they have is the same that they started with at the beginning of the year. They literally don't grow; they're in a kind of happy stasis where the business is operating, producing profit and revenue, but in terms of infrastructure, they're kind of like at a steady state, whereas other businesses are rapidly growing and maybe will fill one of these uh, appliances within a year or 18 months and maybe even looking for another one that they want to rack and stack on top of it. About their whole like kind of schism between kind of fiber channels, SAN or iSCSI SAN or even uh, NAS. I think VMware's philosophy is there's still a lot of legs in that particular model. Um, there are you know there are customers who've gone down the route of VBlock or VCE or uh, you know HP Matrix or VStart from Dell. All of the big OEMs have one of these kind of letters crane in a rack with storage networking and everything in there, and there'll be some. There'll be some big uh, financial and pharmaceutical uh, organizations who've you know, gone out and acquired these things, and they're going to get value out of those technologies over the next two years, three years, four years, five years, whatever the, the maintenance is those. So but although the, I don't see as in kind of being in conflict with that, I, I sort of see EvoRail and hyperconvergence complementing it. So I'll give you an example. In the U.S., I was speaking to a customer who, you know, they're, they're a holding company. They're massive. They have a massive data center, and they've gone down that kind of model of storage, SAN, servers, and networking. But they have over 300 individual subsidiaries 
it's a legal firm. Each one of those subsidiaries has a stipend of its own money, and they've each gone and done their different things. Every week or month, one of those subsidiaries is saying, our gear is up for a renewal. Can you give us advice about what we should have? There's no consistency between one of those subsidiaries and another. And they're looking at EvoRail as a way of offering it to their subsidiaries and look saying, here's this thing we could offer you. Are you interested? Rather than imposing on it, they're offering it to their subsidiaries. It's almost like a partner relationship and saying, perhaps this is the model that you should look at in the hope that they can make that attractive to them and end up getting some, some more standardization amongst the subsidiaries. They don't want to impose it. They want to offer it like um, almost like you would offer cloud. But instead of offering cloud, you're offering something on-prem that's very tightly wound together with the, the vSphere layer and a known quantity when it arrives on site. Everybody's seen this thing before. Once they've rolled out the first couple, it becomes much easier to do the rest. And so that, that's a model where both types of convergence, uh, convergence and hyperconvergence is, are sort of sitting together not in conflict with each other. Yeah, sure. There, there are a lot of lot of good use cases for this. But then again, if you decide to go that, down that hyperconverged route, being it with Evo Rail or whatever you choose to do, uh, you're kind of stuck in a model where you have to buy the same kind of block the next time. Yeah, you're, you're stuck uh, on that so, from a very linear graph, aren't you? Yeah, so, so if you need more storage space, well... Fine. Okay, buy four more nodes or one more block with four nodes in it that gives you more memory and more CPU as Christian, well as the storage space you need. Christian, you're exactly right. You've hit the nail right on the head. To me, the difference between the two is if you look at uh, the conventional converged uh, market, there's a big front upfront capex cost, but you hope to get the benefit over the years. If you buy hyperconvergence one at a time, it's likely that your first node is going to cost you the same as the, the the 16th node because each time you're going back to the vendor saying, can I have another hit of your secret sauce, please? Where the, where the cost or the benefits are is if you can actually buy more than one at a time and you can buy in bulk. So, for example, this, this customer in the U.S. is looking at buying hundreds of these things and then using that bulk buy to try and broker a, a deal with, with the partner. But you're right, um, if, you, if you literally are buying as you need them one at a time, your first appliance is likely to cost you the same as it did the 16th appliance. So although it scales linearly, so do the costs in that particular case as well. But yeah. here's another thing when you get into hardware is maintenance. Mm. Right? Mm. I mean, here's the deal with most of the people buying um, compute uh, storage network separately maintenance right you get uh, especially with storage you get to a certain point and the maintenance is uh it's so high you have to refresh um i know evil rail is pretty new but with the whole uh the whole maintenance thing how would do you have any idea how that would go I don't have any. I don't have any insight at the moment into you know how long the warranty is going to be on one of these particular appliances because I'm not I'm not privy to that side of the the, kind of the equation at the moment. I'll probably find out more of this more. I'm in in the team. Um, I think what's interesting is both Gartner and EDC 
have been looking at the buying patterns that customers have for buying new gear. And it used to be people would refresh their environments on a cadence of every three years. And what they're showing increasingly in environments is that's been stretched down into a five-year period. So the cycle of hardware refreshes is getting the gap between one hard refresh and the next is getting longer. Now, I think people are sweating their assets when they do that. And I think they're obviously that the market changes that came post the crash. People are focusing very closely on, you know, the bottom line cost, the the, the difficulty of raising purchase orders for big, big ticket items and looking for a way to get approval for new hardware spend, which falls below a certain level and it makes it easier to get the PO signed off. You know, we, we've all been there, haven't we, where you've, you've wanted somebody in, in senior management to approve a spend and it sort of bounces around the, the senior management team as, as nobody wants to be the person who signs the, the dotted line because A, they have to justify that expense but b do they want the responsibility or the risk associated with that spend if it doesn't work out well um but i i, I could definitely think the sort of gartner and idc um studies are showing that that envelope is widening between one hardware refresh than the other and i think the industry is going to have to respect that customers won't just buy because they're told to buy you know they will they will make their own decisions at the end of the day but what I see is most vendors make it that you must buy. Like, um, they will raise the maintenance so high that, uh, that you can't, uh, you can't get out. Like, okay, it's cheaper to refresh than it is to pay maintenance. Well, it, you know, it's always been there. I mean, do you remember the days where, you know, when blades and blade enclosures were, you know, uh, popular? And you need a new blade enclosure. And like, well, who's going to pick up the ticket for a blade enclosure that contains one blade? And so the sweeten the deal, the, the vendors would say, well, you know, buy your first uh, blade half populated and we'll give you the rest free. Or we'll give you the enclosure free, but you have to buy the blades. And it was always that kind of consumption model of trying to sweeten the, the deal in order for these guys to meet their targets at the end of quarter and things like it. So I don't think it's so much... The maintenance is used to like have an endless supply of of new customers. Although I think there's an element of that, but I think it's very much driven by, you know, these guys have to ship tin and they have targets to make, and so they're going to incentivize you to buy the new tin by the way you know maintenance expires and by the way they 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 put the deal together. Yeah, not just that support, right? They want to have people trained on so many things. Mm, that's true. That's true. If it, as you have a declining particular maker model, it even works with software as well. You want to get your customers off that older bit of software as quickly as possible because then you're supporting two different versions, potentially bugs and errors in the previous version that are evolved in the new one. So you know it works on 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 software as well. Mm. I suppose really? I, I see a disparity between the compute and so, and the the storage maintenance. So mm. typically, yeah. Uh, servers you might well refresh every three years um, certainly depending on your accountancy model sorry I'm going to have to get all finance so in the UK <laughs> they generally depreciate the asset over three years so after three years it has no residual value whereas in the states they tend to do that over five years and that made a difference between buying cycles over, uh, between US and the states um, but storage was you generally sort of add almost 40% to that life cycle so it would be typically five to seven years for storage now, if you've got a, a converged solution that includes servers and storage, when do you refresh it? 
That's a very and good how? question. And how do you refresh it? Non-disruptive. We, we've touched on that before, <laughs> discussing how how how, the, how you can do that. But if you buy some sort of converged solution today, and you buy another one in three years, that's going to have a different CPU generation or whatever. How do you migrate your stuff? How do you get that stuff off the old one and over to the new one without... Well, if, if, if I could just jump in, I think one answer to that would be something called storage v motion. So, I mean, let's say you're trying to get yeah, but an old when, infrastructure when, on EVM. You can use storage v motion to do that. There's nothing stopping you going the opposite direction, is there? EVC. You're talking different CPU generations here. You have one CPU generation in one chassis that you bought okay, a while ago. Then you buy a new one. You have a different CPU generation. You can't live vMotion those VMs over because the new cluster is a different EVC. Or, or you haven't set up EVC in the first place in the initial cluster because why would you do that? Every node is the same. And then a couple of years Holy down the road, you can't migrate those VMs live over to a new, new appliance because... Well, just, I mean, another another way of looking at it is if um, your storage is IP-based, iSCSI or NFS, you can configure Evo Rail to mount iSCSI and uh, NFS if you want to. You just go into the web client or the vSphere client and access it that way. Um, but, yeah, I can't deal with the CPU difference. Uh, no. But then nobody can. You know? No, exactly. But uh, where there's a will, I think there's a way of getting VMs off and on an Evo Rail based on, you know, just using IP storage as the transport to get VMs off and on. But obviously, when it comes to uh, CPU differences, there's not much we can do about that. If there's a genuine CPU chipset issue that can't be masked away by EVC, we're kind of stuck, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. But that's one of the things I actually like about the Evo Rail, is as long, you can actually put in a fiber channel host bus adapter into those nodes and use an existing storage system. Unless, uh, unlike other uh, hyperconverged solutions, that actually doesn't support that. And, and I, I wrote something, of course, uh, yesterday about this. Uh, I'll self shamelessly self-promote it in the show notes when we publish this. But the the thought of everyone going hyperconverged and moving their existing workloads into these local boxes that don't have any external interfaces for long-term storage of stale and latent data, it doesn't make sense to me. You well, I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if, if you don't think um, a hyper-consolidated or hyper-converged uh, uh, environment is good for you, no one is forcing you to use it. <laughs> so you know, if you, <laughs> no, no, if you no, want no, to go no. down the converged route, uh, you know, with the V-blocks and VCE, or you'd prefer build your own no one's saying that you have to use hyperconverged it's not like vmware is holding a gun to your head and i mean one thing i would say is is that evo rail is an important part of of uh, vmware and it's a new kind of offering from vmware but it you know compared to the other things we do it's your know, contribution of revenue is probably quite low at the moment seeing as that you you know you know you can't buy the thing yet you know partners <laughs> are still gearing up to sell so it's not like we're better the company on Evo Rail and betting the company just on hyperconvergence. There are other things and other ways of solving your problems. And that's why I was trying to say earlier that I think hyperconvergence uh, is the next. Uh, I've been using the phrase hyperconsolidated because VMware introduced server consolidation with virtualization. 
for me, Evil Rail is the next extension of that. So that's why I've been using the pun hyper-consolidated rather than server-consolidated. But if it doesn't suit your particular business model or it doesn't suit your particular needs, then look elsewhere to different ways of, of delivering infrastructure. It isn't the only way of, of doing it. For a customer, where I see this really making sense is the uh, the whole um, VDI thing. Um, yeah. Mike, yeah. we had a chinwag about one and a half years ago. Yeah. And you asked me, where where do you see VDI going? And I said, uh, um, appliance style. I should have listened to you. <laughs> but um, yeah it's where i really see it making sense especially with how the vsan licensing is yeah. working mm. um yeah i mean especially if you're use if you can cheaply put uh flash into this then yeah the bootstorm thing would be not a problem and uh I see it as a as a big big bonus if you could buy the whole Horizon Suite plus this at a cheaper price. But we are, we're not talking prices now. No, no, I think you make a very valid point. And one of the things that excites me about Evo, and I'm not going to talk about roadmap stuff here because I can't, but I look at what the guys have done within the team. They've developed an appliance that creates a virtual center, ESX, vMotion, vSAN, License it with one key, it licensed the whole thing, includes Enterprise Plus in 15 minutes. And I think, what could, what next? What could we evilize next? Now, that isn't a word. I should copyright it. But are there uh, certain features within v the VMware stable, certain products within the v VMware stable that could be uh, equally accelerated in terms of their setup and configuration and consumption? And I think that's the, the thing that excites me about evil rail if it was just evil rail on its own and you know it was only going to get bigger and you know perhaps a better ui then it wouldn't be as exciting to me it's the the possibility the temptation that other uh ways of consuming vmware technologies can be rolled into the evil rail is what is where i see the potential vdi yeah you can run a desktop on it but how easy is it actually to stand up a two connection servers two security servers maybe load balance balances either side for a true, you know, get your desktop from anywhere environment. And is that a model that works for everyone? Are 90% of people who get a virtual desktop down the corridor from the from where the virtual desktop is? You know, is there a, an opportunity to deliver that virtual desktop in a much simpler way without necessarily needing the full infrastructure of a Horizon View environment? If the customer buys into the whole Horizon concept, it isn't just a connection connection server and security server, it's the components that make up Horizon as well. So I'm very excited about the possibilities and opportunities by which other software could be bundled and rolled into Evo Rail. But we've got to talk about what's on the truck, otherwise we fall into that trap of, uh, you know, what all vendors do, you know. Next year we're going to be doing this. Next year we're going to be doing X and Y. Well, you can always talk about jam tomorrow until it comes home. You've got to deal with what's available now because that's, that's the measure of whether the technology is of any use to you, not but, promising things ever to come in the future. But just to add something really small, as a customer, I think that would be really cool if they would sell Evo Rail plus uh, Horizon View plus AirWatch. Since All right, interesting. It. 
I mean, I think what's interesting is that VMware already has a kind of reputation for doing that, creating particular SKUs of software um, to make it easy to stand up particular types of environments. So I, all in good time because anything that helps drive more consumption of the Evo Rail is something that I know the business managers uh, will want to do. But I think in this current release, it's getting the appliance out the door, explaining to people what the concept is, what you get, what the specification is, uh, making sure that specification is a good match, ruffling for most customers. Do we need another specification that's bigger or smaller, as Chris was saying a moment ago? Those questions need to be addressed at the same time or first before you move on to these higher-level discussions, I think. Yeah. Just to make a final point about what I said um, earlier. The thing is, I, I'm not saying that Evo, Rail, and VMware is saying that uh, hyperconvergence is the only way forward. I don't believe VMware is doing that. But no. there are other uh, players in that same space that seem to try to tell everyone that the only way forward is by going through hyperconverge uh, or going two hyperconverged solutions. And I think that there is a, a real possibility that somewhere down the line, someone is going to wake up one morning and think, how the hell did I paint myself into this corner? And now I can't get out of it again. That's why I think that the thing is, as long as you can actually support adding um, external storage to EvoRail, for instance, that's going to make it easier to actually get stuff out again or repurpose your existing uh, arrays for lo long-term storage and use the hot and active data on your local disks as close to the compute uh, node as possible. That makes a lot of sense for existing companies. Sure. The other ones where you want to go all in and throw away, rip and replace everything you have, that's going to be a bad morning for someone at some point. Sure. I mean, just to restate it is, all EvoRail does is put vSphere 5.5 U2 with vSAN and LogInSight onto your hardware. Um, and it has a very simple uh, UI, which you know any SMB could probably get their heads around for just creating and cloning VMs. But there's nothing stopping you cranking up the vSphere uh, client, or the web client, if you love it that much, and uh, managing the EvoRail system that way, if you so wished. Uh, and all of the features that are compatible with U2 currently will work with Evo Rail. So there's, it's not like we've created some special beast that is like of a, a different order. We simply reuse the technologies that were already there in the VMware stable. But I, I think you've hit a bit of a nail on the head about um, if, if you believe that hyperconvergence is the is the be all and end all that's going to fix all your problems. You know. I've been in this industry for 20-odd years. Every year I come across uh, companies promising a panacea. You know, this thing's going to solve all your problems. And it does until the new release comes out, and then they tell you how bad their previous release was and how you must have the new release because this new release is going to bring paradise to all and peace on earth to everybody. But I guess the vendors who have to do that, perhaps they, all, they have like a... They have a particular technology, and they're trying to sell it to as many people as possible, large and small. Before, the, really... window, before the window closes, and that's pretty much why. 
Yeah, so, whereas I think the nice thing about uh, VMware and Evo Rail is I don't have to hard sell this thing to you. You know, I think I've said a couple of times, if this isn't suitable for your needs, there are other options that are available. And, you know, maybe maybe the converged model is better than the hyper-converged model. But you have that luxury of doing that when you, you've got an array of different technologies and, and different offerings to the, the customers, you know. So, um, but, yeah, I think... You know, it, it's nice to have a kind of message which, you know, respects people's existing commitment. You know, there will be customers out there who spent quite a bit of money in their existing infrastructure, and they they'd rather not be told that they've wasted all their money, and they shouldn't have spent it there. And you know, you know, why did you do that? You you sort of idiot. But also, there's a, a wider industry thing as well. Is that the partners who may deliver this, they have converged systems. So Dell, for example, has a converged system. It's called VStar. Yeah, yep. uh, it's a great system. I saw it when I was in uh, Round Rock a couple of years ago. I was really impressed with what they'd done. Um, but they also uh, will be a partner for Evil Rail, and I don't think Dell would be very happy with me going. What a terrible idea! The converge market is, and it's all going to be wiped out by this hyperconvergence. You know, the Dell guy might go. You know, oh, by the way, Mike, tapping you on the shoulder, we have this thing called VStar, and it makes this amount of revenue for us. And I'd rather you not. <laughs> tell us a bad mouth our solution but I think the bigger, bigger question is one size does not fit all we know that is to be true hyperconvergence will work well for some use cases and I think what customers have to do is look at their use case and say is this a good fit at this technology and if it isn't don't try shoehorn something into your environment which isn't appropriate and that works in both ways you know whether you you know nobody would buy like uh, a 42u v block for an smb that has five members of staff that would be crazy wouldn't it so you know it, it works in the opposite direction that's some other models for delivering compute storage and networking in a easy to consume model they don't work for a certain type of customer and we shouldn't go around trying to say that we have this technology that works for absolutely everyone. Uh, yeah, the, there's me, a temptation but, to do that because you want to broaden your market to as many people. But if you do, you, if you do do that, you run the danger of selling something some that isn't appropriate for their needs at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, what I'd like to see is VMware making pricing for the emerging markets. Really, like we're talking third world. Uh, for me, that's interesting. Uh, I, I'm working a lot in Vietnam. And the thing is, is like uh, we have uh, we 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 buy it through the parent company, sure, no problem. But we have to convince to the management why we would have to buy something that's so expensive. True. I mean, you've got to make a business case at the end of the day, haven't you? Yeah. And it's it's more or less like. Uh, um, I think VMware can extend further. I, uh, I mean, as a as a company, I think uh, further down the line they'll see the emerging markets, as all companies do. But at the moment, it's mostly U.S. and and Europe, man, and maybe bigger markets like Japan and so. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's fair to say is. You can be global but and have people in it globally, but it's hard to have a global reach. It's not an easy thing to do, um, and there are always growing pains. I still think VMware is still quite a young company. You know, people go on about, oh, it's 20,000 employees, and that feels big to me because that's the biggest company I've ever worked in. 
but compared to some of our partners, that's actually quite a small company. You know, some of them employ in excess of 100,000 people worldwide. I mean, my God, they're massive. So, you know, it's funny, I work in a, in a group inside VMware, which feels like a startup. But overall, I think VMware is still a young company in the sense of the way it's growing. It still has quite a light footprint compared to the business models of, you know, some of the customers we supply and some of the people we compete against. Well, with that in mind, we're going to wrap up VSoup number 50, our 50th. Uh, uh, thanks a lot, Mike Laverick, for being on as our usual guest. I think you've been on five or six times. I don't remember exactly. Hey, before I go, can I pimp some Veeam updates oh, before I go? Of course you can. That was, yeah. Well, everybody knows how much I support the, the VMUGs as a former VMUG leader myself and having attended a lot of VMUGs both in Europe and in the US. I've just got four key dates, and they're all kind of EMEA-based for anybody who's sort of listening in uh, from Europe. So the UK VMUG is on November the 18th. Two days later, the Nordic VMUG. I'm, I'm hoping that Christian's going to be there. I, I was there uh, last year, actually. Taking, so. Yeah, oh. yeah, I think, I think we bumped into each other. Yeah, the we did. Day, the day after, this is all in the same week, by the way, November the 21st, uh, Brussels has its VMUG meeting. I will be at the Brussels event. And then six days later, on the 27th of November, Scotland, yes, it still exists as a country. It hasn't been dissolved. Scotland has its VMUG meeting as well. So uh, UK on the 18th of November, Nordics the 20th, Belgium on the 20th, 21st and on the 27th Scotland hopefully hopefully I'll see some some of you guys in, in Barcelona as well uh, either one of you guys talking crap with me all the time or, or whatever listeners are out there find me at me and world I'll, I'll be in Barcelona this year thankfully I'll see you there yeah okay cool unfortunately I won't be there second year come on row. come on Ed bring the kid yeah come on she's very small yeah, it's just sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also my parents will be here during that time. Oh, bring so maybe them too. I wouldn't want to bring them to Barcelona. Sure. Well no, they might think it's cool, but uh the fact that I'm busy the whole day, maybe not. Depends how much you like your parents. I mean some people might need the excuse of going to Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, with that in mind, uh, thanks for listening to VSoup50.